Well, today we're continuing our story of Naaman, found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And just a quick review, Naaman was a powerful man. He was strong. He was the commander of the army. And, oh, no, not and. If you saw last week, the conjunction is but. But Naaman had leprosy. Naaman had leprosy, a contagious skin disease that was very um, uncurable. So in contrast to Naaman, we meet this young girl next, his servant girl. And she is not strong. She is not powerful in and of herself and her circumstances. But we see that she lives in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And in that, she is strong. So the servant girl told her master, Naaman, that there's a prophet in Israel who can heal him of his disease. And so Naaman listens and goes with this huge entourage of chariots and horses and gold and silver and gifts and goes to Israel to find this prophet. And he arrives at Elisha's door, and Elisha the prophet does not even come out to greet him. Instead, just sends a servant out to send this message out to him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman is insulted, deeply insulted, and he goes away in a rage. And that is where we left him last week. We're picking up this morning in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. And once again, I will tell the story, and then today I want to talk about transaction versus transformation. So as Naaman is leaving Elisha in a rage, his servants come up to him and say, Father, please reconsider. If the prophet had told you to do something great and amazing and powerful, wouldn't you have done it? So why not even more do this small, simple thing? And Naaman does reconsider, and he goes and dips seven times in the Jordan River and is healed. More than just healed, his skin is made like a young boy's. He's made better. And so Naaman goes with his entourage back to Elisha's house, and the whole mood of the story changes. Because now Naaman is showing up to Elisha with this awe and wonder. And first Naaman says, Ah, I want to give you this gift. Please accept this gift from me of all this gold and silver and clothes. Please take this gift. And Elisha refuses. He says, no, I don't want any of that. I, I don't want to accept it. And Naaman urged and urged and urged. And Elisha said, no, no, no. And we wonder, why, why didn't he take the money? You know, couldn't Elisha have used it for some good things? You know, what was the reason he didn't accept the money? Well, Naaman says, okay, okay, I, I understand you don't want to receive the gift, but will you do this for me? Will you fill two mule packages of dirt from Israel? Just dig up some dirt, fill it in bags as much as two mules can carry so I can go back home and worship God on this soil. Naaman becomes a worshiper of God. And he also says, and please forgive me in advance because I'm going to have to go into the temple of my king's God and do that there, but please forgive me in advance for doing that. And Elisha says, yes, go in peace. 
And you would think the story would be finished there, but there's more. We're next introduced to Gehazi, Elisha's servant. And Gehazi says, oh, this is ridiculous. Elisha, you're just letting him off too easy by not receiving the gifts and accepting them. So he comes up with a little plan to go after Naaman and to make up the story and say, oh, hey, Naaman, Elisha sent me. There's two people who just came to visit. And could you just give us some stuff for them? And Naaman, of course, is pleased to give the gifts, and he sends them back with his servants to Gehazi's house, and Gehazi hides them there. And when Gehazi gets back to Elisha, Elisha says, where have you been? And Gehazi says, oh, nowhere. I've just been here. And Elisha says, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. This is not a time for receiving gifts. The leprosy that was on Naaman is now going to be on you and all your generations to come. And Gehazi went away with his skin leprous, white as snow. Whew. Started out so well and then took a turn there with Gehazi. I want to come back to Gehazi in a moment, but I, I want you to, while it's still fresh in your mind, to identify your feeling toward Gehazi right now. What do you feel toward him in this story? What kind of guy do you think he is? How do you feel toward him? Hold that thought, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Well, Naaman Naaman is a story of transaction versus transformation. Transaction versus transformation. And these are on a continuum. You can see that they're on a continuum. They're not just separate things. They are a continuum that's a whole. You move back and forth between them. So a transaction is an exchange. So when you think about a transaction, you think of an agreement that you make that, you know, I do this for you, and then you pay me. Or I give this to you, and you buy it from me with this amount of money. It's it's a transaction, an exchange, and there's an agreement sometimes that's negotiated, or sometimes there's just the common way of doing that transaction. Everybody knows. But another way to think about transaction is baking a cake. You think about baking a cake, you follow a recipe. You take this amount of these ingredients, mix them together in this order, put them in this sized pan, put them in the oven at this temperature for this amount of time, and voila, you have a cake. It's a transaction. And a transaction is how something happens. But on the other end of the continuum is transformation. And transformation has more to do with the why and the what. The why and the what. You know, for transformation... It's considering the emotions and the values. It's, it's thinking about the ethics, the long-term goals. So there's something about transformation that's a little more difficult to get to. It's deeper. If you think about transaction as a recipe and following it, transformation is like going and getting a different cookbook and having to learn new techniques and new ways and, and thinking completely different than you were before. Transformation. Simple example from our little puppy, Fluffy, is that we added Fluffy Puppy into our family, and 
if you know puppies, you know that they like to bite and chew. They're just using their mouths to explore the world. But of course, we don't want this biting, nipping pattern to continue into adult dogness. So we want to stop that behavior. And if we just took a transactional approach, um, we would just say, okay, biting is bad. We will put a muzzle on little Fluffy and just block her mouth from biting. Solved. Done. We've cured the problem of biting. But if you take a more transformational approach, you have to do a little more deeper work of training and following through day after day. We have to convince her not to bite people because she learns that it's wrong. And she learns right and wrong. We have to help little Fluffy answer the deeper questions of why. Why shouldn't I bite? And hopefully she will come to this place of why I shouldn't bite is because I love these people and I don't want to hurt them. That's moving her to a transformation place. And that's quite simple. But if you pull out in life a ruler, and lately, you know, in school, my kids were, you know, we're homeschooling those days, and the lesson was on measuring things. And so Lila was measuring things around the house, like how tall is the pepper shaker? How long is a fork? And so I thought about measuring this continuum in your life of transformation versus transaction. You know, how much of transaction is happening in your life, and how does that work for you? And what does transformation look like? Where have you experienced that? So maybe you can begin just thinking about that measurement. Because if we go back to Naaman, Naaman begins the story in the transaction place. He's living a life of transaction. He's risen in power to be the commander of the army because he knows how to work the deal and transact things. So when he approaches Israel and brings all his gold and money and chariots and horses, he's seeking to do a transaction. You heal me, I will give you these gifts. It's an exchange. And it's the servants who help Naaman think this through. And did you notice the language that he used? They used this language of transaction. They're like, look, Naaman, if, you, if the prophet would have asked you to do this really great thing, wouldn't you have done it? You know, if it was something under your control, under your power, your effort to make it happen, wouldn't you do it? Why not even more do this simple thing? They spoke to him in the language of transaction because Naaman wanted to do it on his terms, under his control. He wanted to earn his healing by performing some great thing. Naaman did not want to be humbled he did not want to be humbled. So as you're hearing this beginning part of the story and this idea of transaction in your own life, how does it resonate with you? You know, can you relate to, oh, these are how I transact with people in my life, my job or my friends or my family. How are you living a life of transaction? You know, expecting a this-for-that relationship. And when they don't produce you get disappointed. Or it's something that you can be in control of. You know, where's the place in your own life where transaction happens? God was not interested in a transaction with Naaman. God was interested in transformation. 
I think it's interesting. This is what we people bring to God. We bring this desire for transaction with God, this idea of exchange of, God, if I do these things, then will you then give me these gifts? And we, we can treat God like an ATM machine. You know, these, this like, oh, just put the card in. Oh, God, give you the money. It's done. It's an exchange. But God does not want to be in a transactional relationship with us. God wants this transformation He's interested in Naaman not earning, depending on himself, leaning into his own strength. He wants Naaman to turn to God and see his need for God. Because as the commander of the army, why does Naaman need God? He's got everything he needs. We see that Naaman, in this healing event, is transformed. Not just a healing of his body, but something changes inside of him that he becomes a worshiper of God. So much so that he wants to bring dirt back so that he can kneel down on the dirt of God when he goes home and continue this life of knowing and loving and worshiping God. So where on that continuum of transaction to transformation would you place yourself? in your relationship with God. You know, this, this place of transaction where you approach God with the, I do this, you do that for me, in, in exchange, versus the place of transformation where we approach God with awe and wonder. We approach God as the giver of gifts that we receive freely and we are filled up with so much that we can live lives of just giving away of just freely giving to others as well. It's not a transaction anymore. It's just an abundance and an overflow. Where on the continuum would you place your relationship with God? Transaction over to transformation. Oh, Gehazi. Where would you put him on the continuum? You know, as you thought about your own feelings toward him and who he is, where would you put him on a continuum of transaction and transformation? And maybe you were thinking, ah, on the transactional level, he was just being practical. I mean, he was just getting some resources that were available to him. I don't think he did anything wrong. He was being practical. Or maybe you felt like, yeah, here's Gehazi showing his true character. He is kind of corrupt. And this is the one event we see, but maybe there's lots of things in his life that are on that corrupt side. Or maybe, maybe you feel that disappointment of here's Gehazi, probably next in line to become the great prophet of Israel, and he abandons God to go get some silver and clothing to take care of himself in a material provision kind of way. And it it's, it's an ugh. Why? Gehazi is fascinating because he shows up into this amazing story of Naaman being healed and becoming a worshiper of God. You know, we see this, this movement from a transactional life moving over to transformation. And Gehazi's right there witnessing it. I mean, maybe Gehazi was part of the guys digging up some dirt and filling the bags for the mules to take home with them. I mean, he was right there witnessing the event of healing and transformation. 
But then Gehazi wants to get some silver and clothes for himself. Kind of doesn't make sense. It, it's complicated. It's a curious story. Because here we're seeing Naaman move toward transformation and, and Gehazi move towards transaction. And I think part of this story invites us into seeing that we are all in process. We are all in process. You know, this is a continuum that's going on every day. You know, we don't just live in one and then move over to another separate area of transformation. There's a continuum, a movement back and forth. You know, many of our days are spent in, in transaction, and that's just the way of life, and it's the rhythms and the routines and the systems. And in that, there's times when we move out and are over in transformation, learning something new, and our mind is expanded. But then after that, we might move back to a new place of transaction where we're, we're living our life differently. But we move back and forth between these two places. We are all in process, and so is everybody else. As we offer ourselves grace to be in process and offer others grace to be in process. You know, I hope that this story lingers with you and that truly you do take out your, your ruler, your measure of transaction versus transformation and, and look at your life to see where, where is this happening and how does it happen? You know, where am I demanding a transaction from God and getting frustrated and disappointed with him because he's not showing up in the way I want? Or where am I seeing the awe and wonder of God and I'm being drawn into that and compelled by that. Well, maybe as you hear the story of Gehazi, you feel stuck in transactional living and you have no clue this morning. How do you move over to this transformational place? And even feeling that and thinking that and acknowledging that is the first step of moving toward God to say to God, God, help me move toward your transformation. And you know what? God is running toward you with arms wide open, wanting you to come to him as well. Or maybe you connect with Gehazi because you know the whole life of hidden things. And you know and suspect about Gehazi that Maybe this is just one thing that he got caught for, but he has a whole bunch of hidden treasures in his house. And you know that life yourself. Maybe your first step is confession. is to say, God, I acknowledge and admit these things, and I bring them into your presence, and I receive your forgiveness and apply it to myself. And I see you running toward me with open arms, wanting me to be together with you. Or maybe you connect with Gehazi as the person who made the one bad choice. You know, a very generally good life, except that one bad thing that changed everything. And for you as well, God has healing. God is coming toward you with open arms and wanting you to be healed of that, move towards transformation and newness.
wherever you are at on the continuum of transaction versus transformation, God is coming to you with arms of love, wanting you to be in presence with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace that we can be in process, that we do not have to stay where we are at, that we don't have to hide things away, but we can receive your forgiveness and live your transformation. Lead us and guide us to you. Help us to see you. Help us to run to you. And I pray that you would take us up in your arms of love, embrace us and hold us, and guide us forward.